If you've got a Bible with you, um, I would encourage you to follow along at Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. If you didn't bring your Bible, there's few Bibles. Um, I would encourage you to use a Bible um, from now on out. It will help you be more engaged with the Word, engaged with the sermon. And uh, if you're good at taking notes or not good at taking notes, I'd encourage you to still take some notes. Uh, because this sermon may not be for you today, but it might be for you this week. It might be for you in a couple weeks or in a couple years. And so when you journal, when you take notes, you can always look back and see your notes. And um, I know I've heard from some of you, you do this often. I see you um, when you're taking notes. And um, I've had a few people uh, come up to me and they're like, I don't have any more room in the margins anymore. So buy a journal and then take notes in those. Um, before we get into the word and to the sermon, um, I saw a line in the Hosanna song, and um, Stephanie and I, we don't talk about, any, I don't tell her what the message is, she doesn't tell me what the songs are until like the last minute sometimes, but um, just so I can put them in the computer. So we really don't discuss the music in the sermon, and that came from something that one of my professors said. Uh, most people would probably say that that is very irresponsible and uh, unplanned for your worship service because it should all unite together. And I see where they're coming from, but one of my professors said something to me that really just spoke. And what he said was, not everyone needs to hear your sermon that day. Sometimes the best sermons are sung. And ever since that moment, it changed my mind on trying to organize and, um, and to make sure that everything meshed and the songs had the same message as the message that I was bringing. And to really just give Stephanie some freedom on what she is to sing. And what it, uh, it's funny because sometimes it just works so perfectly with the message. There is a line in there that said, break my heart for what breaks yours. Heal my heart and make it clean. And today we're going to be talking about healing. And so in Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those, from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. If you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, for this time, and for this moment. Lord, I just thank you for all that you're doing through this church, all that you will do this year. Lord, you have so many great things and I can't wait for all of us to see it. 
Lord, as we dive into your word and we start to talk about healing, Lord, I ask that you would make us a church that heals, a church after your own heart. And Lord, I also pray that you speak through me as you only know how. Lord, I give up this moment and this platform to you so that you can take full control. Lord, speak to all of us. Open up our hearts to receive your message. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, yesterday, Chloe took me out for my birthday, and we were, we were in Evansville for a little bit. Everything was just taking a ridiculous amount of time to wait for, so we didn't do a whole lot. Uh, we were planning on going bowling. There was a two-hour wait for bowling, which I've never seen in my entire life. But there was a two-hour wait uh, when we got there. And I was like, well, I'm not going to wait two hours to go bowl for 30 minutes. So we just kind of drove around, did a little bit of shopping. And we got caught on the bridge right as that car had caught fire. And so we, we didn't even get onto the bridge. We were stuck over by that gas station with the, the dinosaur. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know what it's called. I just know it has a dinosaur. We were stuck over there by that one. And we were sitting in traffic for about an hour and a half and just stopped traffic. And I was, I was getting updates on, on Facebook, uh, on the Henderson Watch Facebook page, just kind of looking, seeing if there was any progress. Now, as I was reading through the comments, there were some great comedians in, in Henderson. But I was scrolling through, and I didn't think about it until I was just sitting there now. I was like, when I was reading through some of those, I realized just now, I was witnessing a really broken world, a broken world that we live in. And, and just seeing how some people respond to stressful situations, to inconvenient situations, like there's a lot of people that are in need of some deep healing. And so we, we talk about this early church. We started talking about it last week, and we'll continue for several weeks. We've been looking in the book of Acts. Last week, we talked about three essentials that the church must have. The church is empowered by the Holy Spirit, which simply put means the church is given all of the spiritual gifts by the Holy Spirit that are necessary to reach their community and their time with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church also shared the gospel with people and called them to repentance. They were willing to invest in people's lives, share the gospel with them, but they wanted to take it even further because they weren't just here to share information about what Jesus did. They wanted to see people's lives transformed and they knew that that would come through repentance. And so they, call, or they told them about what Jesus did and then in their response, they said, but you need to repent and be baptized. And you'll see this throughout all of the book of Acts. You'll see this repent and baptize thing. You'll even hear about it today just briefly. And then lastly, the church gathered together. They prayed together. They worshiped together. They were around to each other. They ate together. They did life together. And what the word says is that they did this daily. It wasn't just a weekly experience for them. It was a lifestyle. They, they worshiped and prayed and ate and did life together every single day of their life. They might gather together on certain days. But it wasn't just this weekly experience where you come, you fellowship, and you leave, and you never talk to anyone in church. But it was a lifestyle for them. And today, we're going to be talking about how the church saw healing. How the early church saw healing and how us as a church, we can see that same type of healing. 
to look back at Acts chapter 3. Peter and John, they're going up to the temple to pray. And it says that it's about three in the afternoon. Now, that's not significant for you, but it's significant for them because during the time of, uh, that they're living in, in Jerusalem, the temple would have three main gatherings of prayer. That's all it was. It was just prayer. You'd bring your sacrifices and you'd pray. You'd ask for forgiveness during the first two times. And then the last time, it was just to pray to God. And that's because the temple represented God here on earth. And so if you wanted to pray, you had to go to a specific place. You had to go to the temple if you wanted to connect with God. And so lots of people would come to the temple in Jerusalem just simply to pray to God. And they would do this three times every single day. It was in the morning, in the afternoon, which is three in the afternoon, and then in the evening. And they come at three o'clock. They're about to walk into the temple gates, and there's this man laying there. He had been lame or, or crippled his entire life, and he had been carried there probably every day for his entire life so that he could beg. He was placed at this temple gate called Beautiful. Now, if you're really interested in which gate that was, when you're looking at a map of the Jerusalem and the Temple of Jerusalem, go have fun trying to figure it out. Because <laughs> a lot of scholars are kind of torn because there are multiple gates, and so they don't know which one was necessarily called Beautiful. They just know the gates the names of the gates, and none of them were, were named beautiful, but it was probably the most beautiful one. But why would he pick this gate? Well, most agree that whatever gate it was, it was likely where the most people gathered and the most people came through. So it was a strategic thing for him, for his family or friends or whoever carried him there to put him at this gate because that's where the most foot traffic was. And if you're a beggar and you rely on people to give you money, in a culture where giving to the needy and poor is very important and part of the law, then yes, you would want to have the most exposure to the most amount of people. Now, before we move on in the story, I, I have something to confess to you. I have a hard time sympathizing with people who beg. And it's because of how I was raised. I was raised, you, you earn it, you, you go out, you work for it, you earn it, and then you can get it. And so I, I know all of us, we would look at this and we'd say, well, yeah, we would stop and help. Like he's crippled. He's laying on the, at the temple gate. We would, we would certainly give him money. But I'm not so sure. Actually, after I started thinking about it, I, I would probably pass him up. If I'm being honest and transparent with you, I would probably pass him up just like I passed the people in Evansville and Henderson with the, with the signs, holding up their cardboard signs saying they need help. And... Some people have this, this pride in them, and I, and I think it's pride, because I've had this too. You have this pride where you're like, well, wouldn't that be so easy to just stand out there all day and gather money from people and not work a day in your life? To get everything that you need just from sitting there begging. Now, we would look, if I were to take you to Jerusalem during this time, during this day, you would probably tell me, well, yeah, I would give him, give him some money. I would give him some money. But don't think that since it happens now where people scam you and they're not really hurt, they're not really broken, they're not really in need at all, but they're still begging for money because they don't want to work, don't think that didn't happen then. And so there's a lot of people, I'm sure, that were sitting at that same gate all across, all around the temple and so you had to pick and choose which one was actually begging and which one was trying to scam you out of your own money. 
And so don't think for a minute that you would just, you would just be go, so gracious in giving. Now, when Peter, when, when this beggar sees Peter and John walking into the gate, look at where his eyes are. When Peter talks to them, he has to look up. So he's looking down. He probably has no idea who's given him money and who's not. And it's probably just the lifestyle thing. If you're, it's humiliating if you have to, if you're forced in that position. And so he's probably just looking down, seeing the feet of people. And as he sees feet, he calls out and he's like, please give me some money. Right? It probably would have sounded something like alms for the poor, but it's please give me some money. His hands out and his head looking down in shame. And as Peter and John, they walk in, they're starting to walk through the gate, and he says this, and I love what verse 4 says. Peter looks straight at him. I love that. He's like, we're going to have a conversation. We're going to look at each other. And it says he looks straight at him, and in the next verse, he says, look at us. Look at us. And so the man, in hopes, is like, I'm going I'm to see who's actually going to give me something. And, he, and he's expecting something. And then in verse 6, probably the most quoted verse when people don't want to give up their money. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now, why did, Pe- or why did Peter say this? One reason is probably because he was dirt poor and he didn't have anything. If you think about it, he was living off the land, walking with Jesus for about three to three and a half years. He didn't have a job. He quit his job so that he could follow Jesus. He gave up everything to follow him. Not to say that he hasn't gotten a job since then, but there's also this moment that you find where they are sharing their possessions and everyone in the early church is just putting all of their money, all of their possessions uh, to be shared with one another. And so he probably didn't have anything to give. But even if he did, he knew what the man was actually asking for. And he learned this from Jesus. Because when you actually look at this story, it reflects a similar story where Jesus heals a man that was paralyzed. And he tells him to get up and walk. To get up, take up your mat and walk. And this is a reflection of that. The reason it's a reflection is because Jesus also says to the disciples that you will do greater things than I, which means that they will be able to heal in the same way that Jesus did, but then also that they would do so much more. But Peter knew exactly what the man was asking for. He knew that he was asking for money, but it was based on a survival. So money will just help you survive. It will help you get your next meal. It will help you maybe pay whoever your landlord is, so that you can continue to have a home and shelter. Peter knew that he was asking for this. But what Peter knew that he needed was healing so that he could thrive. And so it wasn't this this money so that he could survive. He knew he needed a spiritual thing to thrive in his life. So Peter says, I don't have what you want. I don't have what you want, but I have what you need, and he heals him. Now, I want to take a moment to remind you of something. The world will always look to worldly things as solutions for worldly problems. 
But if the church starts doing this, then we become part of the world too. And so the church can't do this. The church can't rely on worldly solutions for worldly problems. The church should be looking at worldly problems and seek spiritual solutions. The church should look at worldly problems and seek spiritual solutions. In the case of the beggar at the gate, the worldly problem was that he couldn't get a job, likely, because of his health condition. He couldn't get a job. And so without a job, he couldn't make money. Without money, he couldn't buy food. And without food, he wouldn't survive. And so he was forced in a position to survive. He looked at the worldly solution of begging for money and probably got money so that he could survive for so many years because he knew that money would provide food, money would provide shelter and other basic human needs. But his solution was to survive by begging for money because the worldly solutions will always lead to survival mode. Now, worldly solutions can give you great wealth. They can give you great happiness and moments of happiness, but they will never fulfill you. There's, there's nothing that will ever fill your life like Christ does. It doesn't make your life easier. In fact, it might even make it a little bit harder, but Every worldly solution will cause you to struggle to survive spiritually to where you can only survive for so long and then you eventually die because you're, you're trying to survive in this physical world. But there's a spiritual world that so many of us, we know of as Christians, but so many people don't know about or don't pay attention to. And so they, they're living their whole life struggling to survive on the next fix on the next thing that they can buy to, to bring up some happiness, on the next person that they think will bring them some happiness, on the next whatever it is that's going to fill whatever hole that they have temporarily. And so it's always survival. You're always having to beg the world for something new. And so as the church, we are to be the gateway into the spiritual solutions for the worldly problems. And for far too long, I think as church, not just necessarily this church, but churches in general, have looked to worldly quick solutions rather than spiritual hard conversations and solutions. Here's what I mean. When someone comes in need, typically a church will respond by, here, here's some food, now leave. Here, here's some money, now leave. And they'll continue to do this. And so it's like we're, we're trying to help them up to get them back on their feet so we might give them a little bit of money. Like that's what they ask for, so we'll give them a little bit of money and we'll kind of pull them up. We're like, all right, dust them off. That'll get you back on your feet. And then when they, when they inevitably fall again, because all of the powers of hell in the world is going to try and drag them back down to where they were, they're going to fall back down. And then the church might, if they're extra generous, might say, uh, you know, I know it, it was just a mistake. It's okay. Like, we're, we're good. Now get back on your feet. They fall into the same thing again. And then the church is like, I mean, we've helped you twice. What more do you want us to do? We, we keep helping you. We keep investing in you. And you're, you're just wasting everything that we give you. But that's not healing. That's them surviving. They found their next survival thing. And so what will they do? They'll go to the next church. 
that church won't help any, help me anymore, so I'll go to this church. And you see how now they're in survival mode. There's no amount of money that will heal any spiritual brokenness. There's no relationship in this world with another human that's going to heal any spiritual brokenness. There's nothing in the world that you will ever find. You can look as far as you want to. You will never find something to heal your spiritual brokenness except the love and grace of God through his son, Jesus Christ. And what the early church did is that they became the gate into this spiritual healing. And they healed in the name of Jesus. But maybe one of the most significant verses, at least for this time and this season in our church's life, is verse 7. Taking him by the right hand, he held him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Peter held him up by the, or grabbed him by the hand and helped him up, helped him get back on his feet. And what that means for us in a church of 2023 is when people need financial healing, instead of just giving them money, we pray for them. We help them by sharing the gospel with them and then teaching them as a church to help them manage their money well. If there's a relational or marriage issue, instead of throwing a few Bible verses and saying, ah, just pray about it. Like, pray about it and it'll fix everything. Just pray about it. Instead of doing that, there's a lot of married couples in here where you've been married longer than I've been alive. And so as a church, we need to take the time and invest in their lives and say, hey, yes, you do need to pray about it. I'll be praying about it too. And here's some things like my, my spouse and I, we were in a very similar situation and this is how we worked through it and this is how you might be able to work through it and then give people the tools and the resources so that they can work and find healing in their marriage and their relationships. It, like we're having young families come in here, young parents, if they're dealing with parenting struggles, their kids won't listen to them or, or, or family type of brokenness, family dynamics are being broken. We need to be the ones that first pray for them and say, hey, like this is what it looks like to be a biblical family. Let's dive into the word together. Let's do all these things together. Let's work with this together. And us as a church, working with those families and saying, hey, here's what might work. Because Satan is, is very crafty. He knows how to break people up. He knows how to destroy families. He knows you. Because he's known you since you were born, knowing what your weaknesses are, knowing what, what, what obstacles he can put and you'll trip over. He knows you probably better than you know your own self. And so if we're looking at all these worldly solutions to try and fix it, to try and take the obstacles away, it's not going to work. Because if you might find a worldly solution that says, hey, I'm going to take away this obstacle from Satan. He's going to put it right back down. And you're going to be sitting here trying to get rid of it. And I'm not moving forward. I'm just sitting here trying to deal with whatever's coming next, whatever's blocking my path. And I hope that you see the picture. It's not that we say silver and gold we do not have. 
because some of you have silver and gold. If we're all being honest, we have something to give. We have resources and money to give. And oftentimes what we do is we're like, okay, we'll just slap the gospel on it. Like, like we slap the, the gospel on the back of our car with a bumper sticker, and then we, we drive away. Although read it as we're driving away. And so we, we give something, and we say, oh, this was given in Jesus' name, but we don't want to take the time to invest. And so we, we slap the gospel on it so that we look like a church, we seem like a church, we're acting like a Christian, we look like a Christian, but in reality, sharing the gospel is a conversation, but it's also a lifestyle, meaning that you have to invest in other people. You have to. If you want to see your family member saved, you have to invest in them. You can't send them to me. You can't send them to someone else. You have to be the one that invests in them. If you want to see your friends saved, you have to initiate those conversations because they're likely not going to ask you anything. And there's so many people in this world that need some spiritual healing and they don't know where to look, but you do. You know where to look. It's easy to give a few verses and say that you'll pray for them. It's hard to make intentional time to pray and walk with them through it. To hold their hand and to help them up and to heal them. As the church, we need to be the one that initiates it. And if we don't, families in this community will be broken. And they will continue to break further and further and further. People will continue to pile on debt and they will never find financial peace. People will continue to be broken in search of something to heal them, but looking at something just to help them survive. And I don't want to be the church that watches a broken world continue to break more and more when I know the one who can restore anything. When I know the one who... I'm not sure he's seen something yet that he can't heal. The, the one who has yet to find a problem that he can't solve. I know his name and his name is Jesus. And if we're keeping that from people, we're doing Jesus some, a lot of disjustice for all that he did for us, for us to keep it to ourselves and to come together and, and worship him together and then leave and do nothing about it. We are called to speak the name of Jesus into our community. And, and when we start working as the hands and feet of Christ, when we start going and when we start seeing people and, and investing in people's lives in our community, we will start to see healing in this church. Not only physical, but mental, emotional, spiritual see all types of healing. And we might not even think of it as healing. We might not even look at it as that's a miracle, but it's already happened. Since I've been here, it's already happened that we've seen miracles and we've seen healing, but it's going to become way more obvious this year if we continue to seek God. If we continue to actually go out and reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and try to give them spiritual solutions. But know this. When we start seeing this healing, the crowds, our community, they will recognize it and they'll be asking questions. And what you'll find is that Peter and John gave credit to only Jesus. 
And then they would go and they'd preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the crowds who came and, and wonders of the healing that happened. And then he'd go again to the Sanhedrin and he'd pray uh, and he'd preach the gospel and call them both, both crowds, to repent of their sinful ways and turn towards Christ. And so if we are willing to go into the world to keep our eyes on Christ, God will heal people through this church. And when people take notice, that's your opportunity to share the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ with them. When we see marriages restored, we're not going to point people to our programs and to our people. We're going to say, that was all God. That was all Christ. If, if we see people finding financial peace in this community after inflation and tax raises and all these other things that are happening and people aren't at peace with their finances. When we see healing in that, we don't point it to our programs and say, well, we started Financial Peace University with Dave Ramsey and that's what saved them. No, it was Christ. We point them to Jesus because healing is and never will be done in the name of Shady Grove General Baptist Church. Healing will only come in the name of Jesus. And so we need to be receptive and give credit where credit's due. Miracles will take place this year as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit with all the gifts that we ever need. By preaching the gospel and calling for repentance together and gathering together, worshiping together, praying together. But it starts with you. It starts with you to make a time commitment not just to this church, but to Christ. A time commitment to pray and to make the most of every opportunity that you have to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with your family and friends. And don't wait for someone else to step up because they won't. Don't wait for someone else to do it for you because they won't. Start today. And so I, I want to invite you to make your way up to the altar, to the front row that no one sits on. And just say, God, I'm available for you. Like, God, I, I want to see people healed because of me and because of you working through my life. And so I want to come to the altar before you today. And I want to say, Lord, I'm available. I'm here. Send me. Because I want to make a difference in people's lives. Because of you. I want you to use me in such a way that I see people healed. And it's because I was so faithful to you. I want to see that in this church. And so I'd invite you to come up to the altar. And just say, God, I'm available for you. Whatever you have for me, I'm going to go and do it. And then actually go and do it. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for this time. Lord, as we... As we take this moment, Lord, you're going you're gonna to do so much healing in this church, in this community, because of our faithfulness. I can see it. And I, I wish that I could express it so that others could see it. But Lord, I just pray that you give all every single one of us in this room and watching online and those who aren't with us today that are normally are, you give us the strength and the courage to confidently say, listen, Lord, I'm here, I'm available, 
And I'm excited to do things greater than you because of you here with me, your Holy Spirit here with me, empowering me and giving me all of the gifts that I need to reach my family, to reach my community. Lord, I'm so thankful for all that you're doing and all that you will do. But Lord, help us to be faithful to you. Remind us to be faithful to you because if we're not faithful to you, you're not gonna use us. So Lord, I'm begging you to just use us. Use us so that we can see healing. Use us so that we can be the church that you planted all those years ago for 2023. It's in Jesus' name we pray.